I don't think Andrew saw my notes before now, or I don't think he's seen them ever. Uh, but his thoughts this morning are were similar. Different character, but similar. Title I have here is Choices Have Consequences. A choice is the act of choosing. It also suggests the opportunity or privilege of choosing freely. Life is a series of choices. First of all, when we're young, obedience to our parents becomes a choice is a choice after a certain age. And I'm not going to tell you what age that is. Then we have a choice of whether we're going to accept Christ or reject him. We have a choice of which church we're going to associate with. We have a choice of our occupation. And there are consequences with that. I'll just stop there briefly. Um, I've farmed or been on a farm most of my life. And that choice has its consequences. Those cows need to be milked twice a day, 365 days a year. We have a choice for most of us of our spouse. We have a choice of where we're going to live. All of those things have consequences. When we make bad choices, we want a crop failure. Or at the very least, a poor crop. Some people sow wild oats and they pray for a crop failure. You know, usually we associate that with young people. I've seen older people that have sowed wild oats and have reaped a bountiful crop. If wild oats are sown, wild oats is what the crop's going to be. That's the consequence of that choice. And of course, obviously, when we make good choices, we want a good crop. We don't want a crop that is poor or a crop failure. Our choices affect others. And I got to thinking back a little bit. Uh, I don't know where I would be today if it wasn't for the choice of church leaders that saw the need and importance of education in a Christian setting. In 1972, in the spring, that was the last year I was in a public school setting. I wasn't headed down a very good road. But my parents also made a choice that I was going to Berea School in the fall of 72. And also in the spring of 72, the decision was made that I would go to Georgia to work. 
a choice that had consequences. And those consequences, I think, largely were good. Now, the choices I was making up until that point uh, was choices that went towards things that were not good. My parents' choices were good choices that had consequences. Now this morning it's probably going to be a little more negative and I hope you can think of some positives. I might not be able to tie it in quite as good as what Andrew did with Haman and Mordecai. Uh, but I want to look at Saul this morning, King Saul, and choices that had consequences. I just finished reading the book of 1 Samuel and I was impressed again, uh, reminded again of choices made and the consequences of those choices. So let's, um, I want to just make a quick run through part of 1 Samuel. Just pick out a few things as we go along. I, uh, I thought about going some other ways too with David. That would have been more of a positive thing. Um, but I want to start back in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And look a little bit at <clears throat> choices and their consequences. The second verse of chapter 9 says this, talking about Saul, that he was a choice young man and a goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Now, you know, our minds go to, you know, what all was implied in him being the best person there. Now, I know he was a tall person because it says that uh, from his shoulders upward, he was higher than any of the people. I might add here, looks to me like he would have been the candidate to go out and fight Goliath uh, because he was bigger and more goodly than anybody in the land. Drop down to verse 6. And this is um, after Saul went out looking for his father's donkeys. Verse 6 says, He said unto him, talking to his servant, Behold, or his servant talking to him, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go hither, go thither, peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. Saul was open to getting advice. He wanted to go to the seer, to Samuel, to find out the way to go. A good choice. Go down to verse 20. The last part of it, well, Samuel told him that the donkeys were found and all was good. But then he makes this statement, on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on all thy father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am, I not, am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? 
Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? Saul had a pretty good picture of who he was. Jeremiah in our lesson today said, Lord, I'm just a child. I can't do this. That's the picture I see of Saul. Verse verse 10 of chapter 10, on his way home, the last part of that verse says, The Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. Samuel told him, you're going to meet this and do this and all this on your way home. And it came to pass just like it was said. He got home, saw his uncle ask him what Samuel said. And he said, Samuel told me that the donkeys were found. And the last part of verse 16 says, But of the matter of the kingdom whereof Samuel spake, he told him not. Now, I don't know, you could look at that a number of different ways, but I see that as an, a choice of humility. He didn't tell his uncle, yeah, I'm going to be the king. That's what Samuel told me. Drop down to verse 21. When they met together to crown this king or to anoint this king, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. The family of Kish and Saul was taken. And they went to find him and it says in the end of verse 21, when they sought him, he could not be found. I don't know if if, uh, you've experienced calls of God and you wanted to go hide or not. I've been there. Done that. Maybe not for the right reason. Verse 22 says that Saul has hidden himself among the stuff. Drop down to verse 26. And this is after he was made king. Verse 26, it says Saul went home. Saul also went home to Gibeah. And there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Belial said... How shall this man save us? They despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. Now the center reference of my Bible says he was as though he had been deaf. Didn't have any effect on him. To me that was a choice. I think he heard them. It was a choice he made. Verse 6 of chapter 11 says, The Spirit of God came upon him when he had heard of those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. This was because of what was happening and the um, conflict that some of the people were facing. He went and delivered Jabesh. Verse 12, the people said unto him, unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. Talking about these men from Belial. 
Verse 13, And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Then said Samuel to the people, Come, and let us go to Gilgal, and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Saul made a good choice again. Nobody's going to be put to death because God has wrought salvation in Israel. Go over to chapter 13. Samuel had an appointment one day with Saul and uh, Saul got tired of waiting. Verse 8, he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of an offering, end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him, or that he might bless him. Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash, therefore said I, The Philistines will come down upon now upon me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Saul made a choice. Read two more verses there yet. Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now... Thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. The Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Choices have consequences. Someone put it this way, Saul is sentenced to lose his kingdom because of two or three hours of impatience. I mean, I didn't, don't have any way of knowing that time frame exactly, but it would appear to me as though Samuel came before the day was out. Now, that incident is not the incident that is stated as the reason Saul lost his kingship. We'll see that in a little bit. But that was the pronouncement that the kingdom would be passed on to another. Drop down to verse 18 of chapter 14. Saul again seeks God. Saul said unto Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, 
that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thy hand. He made another choice. He wasn't willing to hear God out. Verse 20, And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines and so forth broke out in the battle. Do you see the downward progression of his choices? Verse 33. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord and that they eat with the blood. And he said, Ye have transgressed. Roll a great stone unto me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people, and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox, and every man his sheep, and slay them here, and eat, and sin not against the Lord, and eating with the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox with him that night, and slew them there. And Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. Now, I didn't go back and just search it out, but to me that seems like a violation of what God had set up for sacrifices. Verse 36 Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Then said the priest, Let us draw near hither unto God. And Saul asked counsel of God. Again, there's a little bit of that inclination towards God. But it seems like it's getting less and less. Notice, remember when the sons of Belial wouldn't come and, and follow Saul, he said, I'm not going to do anything about it, or acted like he was deaf. Nobody's going to be put to death after their victory. But notice what happens here. Verse 43, Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod. That was in mine hand, and lo, I must die. And Saul answered, God do so, and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. This is Saul talking about his own son. Because he had commanded his 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 uh, men not to eat any food. Jonathan didn't hear it. And he simply reached out his rod and got honey. And it refreshed him. And now Saul said, you're going to die for this. Choices. And a change of attitude from the way he was at the beginning of his kingship. He said, nobody's going to die because they reject me. Then we have the people coming and reminding Saul of the great salvation that Jonathan brought to the the children of Israel. 
Go down to chapter 15 and verse 17. Um, God gave Saul a, a task to do and sent the word by Samuel to utterly destroy, utterly destroy. Verse 17, Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Well, let me stop here just a little bit. I'm not sure Amalekites or Amalekites. Uh, forgive me if I'm not saying it to suit you. And fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. I'm going to stop there just a little bit. So how do you go and fulfill the word of the Lord when God said utterly destroy and Saul said, I followed the voice of the Lord. But I brought Agag back. Verse 21, but the people took of the spoil. Notice what Samuel told him in verse 22. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. That was the incident that took his kingship away. And we'll see that uh, restated here in a little bit. Choices. And his choices had consequences. He chose to bring Agag back. I don't know how much pressure he got from the people to bring these sheep and oxen back for sacrifice. But it was in direct violation of what God told him to do. It was a choice. Verse 30. Then Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel. Seemed like he had more concern about his standing with the people than he had with God. He wanted Samuel to honor him before the people yet. Go to chapter 16 and verse 14. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Seems like there was a, um, or there was a digression. Seems like at this point is where the Spirit of God left him after his disobedience in the battle of Amalek. Verse 21. 
David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. This was after David came and played his harp for Saul to relieve him of this, um, what do you want to call it, this uh, spirit torment that God had sent his way. David said in verse 26 of chapter 17, talking about this Philistine and one of his reasons for going after the Philistine was that the Philistine was defying the armies of God. Seemed like Saul didn't have that concern anymore. Let's go over to chapter 18. After David killed Goliath, says in verse 2, Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Verse 5, Saul sent him, I'm sorry, verse 5, Abner, David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Saul's attitude towards David was a, a, um, a good one. As you drop down a couple verses, that attitude changes drastically. When they came back, the women said, one to another, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Verse 8, Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. That word displeased that's used there in verse 8 says that the saying was evil in Saul's eyes. David, Saul's attitude changed toward David. And part of that fear of David was because it states numerous times down through the next few verses that the Lord was with David and was departed from Saul. Verse 12. Verse 14 it says, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. It was all a matter of the choice of Saul. And these choices were having consequences in his life. Verse 28 and 29 of chapter 18. Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul said, yet the, and Saul was yet the more afraid of David and Saul became David's enemy continually. Next verse, David behaved himself more wisely 
than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by, or very precious. Talking about David. Saul went on further yet. Verse 4 of chapter 19, Jonathan speaking of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, because his works have been to thee word very good. In other words, Jonathan says, Father, he's been your help. He's winning your battles. It's not about him, it's about you. Verse 5, For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? Then in verse 10, we have Saul trying to kill David with his javelin. He went and chased after David. Jonathan coming to David in verse 20, chapter 20 and verse 3 says, David recognized his life was in danger. He said, there's but a step between me and death. Go over to chapter, the end of chapter 20. David uh, wanted to test things out. Jonathan gave him leave. Jonathan gave an excuse to Saul for why David wasn't there. Saul even went so far as to try to kill his own son. And in the life of kingship, he would have been the one in line to be next king. Verse 33 says, Saul cast a javelin in him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. And you have Saul going so far as to kill the priest and his family and then go and destroy the whole town because he inquired of God for David. Something that he had done many times for David in his life as the king's, um, in, in the king's battles. Need to keep moving here. You have Saul repentant after David spares his life in chapter 24. You go over to chapter 26 and David spares his life again. Verse 21, Saul said, I have sinned. Return my son David for I will no more do thee harm because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. Saul was making a good statement there. He had done wrong, and David had done no wrong. David recognized him as king, and he was not going to lift his hand up against the Lord's anointed even when he had an opportunity, and people would have done it for him. Then you have Saul going so far in verse 28. Saul tried to inquire of the Lord again in verse 6. 
The Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servant, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Choices. She called up Samuel. Samuel gave the sentence. I want to read here just a little bit. Verse 16. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and is become thine enemy? The Lord hath and the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyedst not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Samuel confirming that God took the kingdom away from him because of his sin, his disobedience at Amalek. Of course, you have the outcome of that. The Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. Saul fell on his own sword and died after he was injured. Verse 6 of chapter 31, Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. Choices had consequences in Saul's life. Choices have consequences in our lives. Proverbs says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver or gold. Romans 8.13 says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now I recognize that Saul was living before uh, Romans was written. But in terms for today, Saul was living after the flesh. He wanted the glory for himself. He didn't want David to get the glory. He went so far as to try to take David's life. Choices had consequences couple of verses from Galatians 6. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, or if we do not lose heart. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see, what we sow is a choice. What we reap is a consequence of that choice. I thought about saying, well, what we sow is what is a choice, and what we reap is a choice. Well, it's not quite that simple because we don't control the yield but what we sow is a choice. The consequences um, are up to God. Okay? Let's put it that way.
Romans 2. Talking about God who will not who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them who are contentious or self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, for them it's indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. God's going to render to everyone according to his choice and acting on that choice. Yes, it talks about according to their deeds or what they do. What we do is a result of a choice. We can either uh, look for glory and honor and immortality, and that's not talking about glory for me, but the glory of God. We can look forward to eternal life. But to those that choose the self-seeking way, they do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they they will experience indignation and wrath. I thought about that. So what's the difference in indignation and wrath? Uh, See if I can pull it up here. Uh, Tribulation and anguish from verse 9. Tribulation and anguish from for upon every soul of man that doeth evil. evil. Tribulation is the weight of the affliction. All right, so God sends things our way. That's the weight of the affliction. The other is looking ahead and realizing what's coming. One refers to the external weight of affliction. The other, the inward sense of that weight. We make choices to sow the wild oats. The reaping of the wild oats is a weight, but the eternal uh, implications are a heavier weight yet. So why does he talk about the Jew and the Gentile? We're all Gentiles, I think. I I don't think there's any Jew here by blood. The Jew stood first in opportunity... So now he is first in responsibility. But the Greek, the Gentile race, experiences the same consequences of similar choices. There is no respect of persons with God. Now, I had written down here to look a little bit at the life of Joseph, but very similarly, a life of choices that had consequences. Joseph chose not to sin against God. 
but it had consequences. He spent time in prison. He spent time... Uh, let's turn there just briefly. Genesis 39. His answer to Potiphar's wife was, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so we have Joseph cast into prison down in verse um, 19, 20. Verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 23, it says, The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Joseph made a choice. He made choices and there were consequences. God prospered what he did, even though he was there in prison. He gave God credit for everything he did. Notice in verse 8, when he was talking to the butler and the baker he said do not interpretations belong to God notice what he said to the king um, after he was in prison for two years and he was remembered again verse 16 Joseph answered Pharaoh saying it is not in me God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace verse 25 God hath shown Pharaoh what he's about to do verse 28 what God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Verse 32, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Joseph was making choices constantly. We see some of the consequences. Verse 38, Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Pharaoh said, said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath shown thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Joseph made choices. There were consequences. You make choices. I make choices. There are consequences. Consequences for eternal life if we do what is good and right. Consequences to indignation and wrath. If we sow what is wrong, if we make choices that are wrong. The things we do affect us. The choices we make affect us. The things we do will affect others. The choices we do, we make, will affect others. The choices I made as a young man because of the influence that was wrong had an effect on me. But the choices I made because of influences that were right have had an effect on me. And they still will today. We have a song, please.